Uh, hey, thanks again for coming tonight. My name's Kyle. I'm the pastor here at Regen and just super thankful to be part of our community and what God's doing. Um, yesterday, we really had a blast. A few of us went over to the uh, Alliance for Substance Abuse Prevention Recovery Rally. Uh, one of our missional targets as a community is in the areas of addiction and recovery. And so we spent a few hours passing out sunglasses just like these guys. Um, and so among other things, we are now the church that gives out sunglasses. Uh, which there are significantly worse things to be known as in our community, right? And uh, there were like two people, we gave out like just solid green sunglasses last year. And uh, two people were like, I was hoping that you would be here because I really want a new pair of sunglasses. So we hooked them up and it, it's got our logo. It says, give church another chance. We just really believe that interrupting people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus means interrupting them with the generosity of Jesus. And so people are always shocked uh, one of my favorite things is whenever we give something away and somebody says, well, how much do the sunglasses cost? And I'm always like, zero dollars. Um, and so uh, there are enough that you too will be able to rock some of these classic 80s uh, glasses. We're going to give those out because we are approaching um, next week is our birthday month. Um, next week, Regen, our church turns two. So there's going to be basically all month long cupcakes and cakes and pies and food and a couple of other things throughout the month just to celebrate really what God's doing. And we'll be coming up with some ways to celebrate that and give name to that too. Um, but thanks for being here. We're going to be in the book of Malachi chapter three. Malachi chapter three is the last book of the Old Testament. Um, and so it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. If you're using the Bible app, uh, you can find us on the event or just search for Malachi chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 6 through 12 as we continue our series on generosity. Um, I know we've prayed a lot, but I want to pray again. I was reading this week, a lot of you guys know I've gone back to school, and I read a line in a document um, that I could best describe as one of the earliest Christianity 101, church membership 101 documents that the early church wrote. It's from the early one, it's the early second century, so 110, 115 AD. And uh, it's all about how churches work. There's a lot about generosity in it, so we'll be weaving that in. And there was this line that I really liked. One of the things you know that we say is where God's word is explained, God's voice is heard. And as I was reading, as I was reading this, the other thing this, this document said was, Wherever the nature of the Lord is spoken of, there he is present. Wherever the nature of the Lord is spoken of, there he is present. And I was talking to somebody about this, and I said, the reason I like that is I can yell at someone from another room and they can hear my voice. I can send somebody a letter and they're going to hear my voice. I can send them a voicemail and they're going to hear my voice. I like the idea that where the nature of the Lord is spoken of, there he is present. And that's where he is tonight. And so let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, we just sang that we are embraced by you, that we are surrounded by your arms, and it doesn't often feel that way. It feels weirder than that. And so we just pray that, um, we're going to talk about a lot of things tonight, but God, that your presence would be here in such a way that we uh, sense and feel and experience that embrace, uh, and that we would be encouraged and comforted and challenged, because where your nature is spoken of, there you are present. We're glad for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have heard it said that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Have you ever heard somebody say this? The way to a man's heart 
is through his stomach. This is certainly true because I fell in love with my wife's cooking and I fell in love with my wife's baking along the way to falling in love with my wife, okay? Uh, and so the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. But we're now in this series, we're in the second week of about six-week series called Extravagant, A Brief History of the Generosity of God. And when I say generosity and we're in church, what am I really talking about? Money, that's right. Okay, so this is a series about money. And uh, the reason I bring that up is because if the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, here's the real truth of that. God knows that the way to our hearts is through our wallets. God knows that the way to our hearts is through our wallets. Not because he wants to rifle through and scrape up every spare dime that he can get his hands on, but because he knows that, that our wallets, how we spend our money, are one of the most accurate barometers for really where we are spiritually, where we are with him, how aligned our hearts with is. And so that's why scripture spends a great deal of time talking about money. And so we're kind of walking through really the whole Bible and landing in certain spots along the way to see what the whole Bible has to say about not what we need to do, but what God has done. This series is all predicated on the idea that it, the, Bible isn't, the Bible's concern with money isn't about what God wants from you. It's what God wants for you. It's not about what God wants from you. It's about what God wants for you. And so when I came to our text tonight, Malachi chapter three, verses, we're looking, I, I, originally this sermon was gonna be on verses 10 through, 10 through 12, and it says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it, put me to the test, the Lord says. Your crops will be abundant. For I will guard them from insects and disease, and your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So I read this. I was like, gosh, look, here is a text about what God wants for us. Here's a text where God is making extravagant promises of faithfulness to us. God is making, this is the title of this message, God's Extravagant Faithfulness, that God says, I am so intent on faithfully providing for you that I want you to try me. I want you to test me. And ancient Hebrews, if they, when they heard Malachi speak this, they would have gasped because elsewhere in the Old Testament law, it says, don't test God. And God's saying, let's break that rule. Test me in this and let's see what happens. God has a heart to be a faithfully extravagant provider. And so I was so excited to unpack this text. But when you study the Bible, it's, it's key. Here's an important thing to do. It's an important thing to look at the context of the passage. You want to see what comes immediately before and immediately after. Uh, one of the Bible teachers I heard, Howard Hendricks, says you climb a contextual tree. So you climb up a tree to kind of see the land around the text. And I'm a good Bible student. I went to Moody, like I went to Wheaton, I'm going to school again. I know what to do. So I, I looked and I said, well, what immediately comes before? And it kind of made me feel like this. Uh, because this, listen to verses six through nine of this text. L- l- look at this. I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why your de- you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of, our an- of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Now the Lord's having a conversation with himself as one of himself's being Israel. And so he says, but you ask, well, how can we return when we've never gone away? 
Should people cheat God? This is God talking back. Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, well, what do you mean? When did we cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating or stealing is the other way to translate that. You've been cheating or stealing. So again, this is how I'm feeling uh, because this, as much as we want to talk about what God wants for you, this certainly seems to be a text where God is talking about what he wants from us. It certainly seems like God is accusing us of stealing It certainly comes across like we talked about last week that God's copying an attitude of, well, you know, I bled and died for the sins of the world. So 20 bucks, let's go, pay up. You know what I mean? It seems like God is kind of getting a little demanding. And so I wanna wrestle through the troubling part of this text tonight, which is if we don't give, if just a minute ago you didn't put anything in that bucket, did you just steal from God? And if so, what does that mean? So let's look at Malachi 3 together. The book of Malachi is written and authored by, anybody want to guess? Malachi is written by, man, you guys read the Bible. Good job. Malachi is written by a guy named Malachi, and he is a prophet. This might be one of the first times we're preaching a prophet at Regen. And so it serves to talk about how, first of all, from last week, we were in the book of Deuteronomy, we're now in Malachi, we've jumped a few hundred years into the future. So Israel took possession of the land in the book of Joshua and Judges. Uh, they had prophets in First and Second Samuel and kings in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. Uh, they got into a little bit of a trouble. The nation split in two into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom kind of got its butt kicked by the Assyrians and kind of just is no more. And the southern kingdom continued to disobey and God used the nation of Babylonia to take Israel into captivity. And so the whole nation was kind of picked up out of Jerusalem and the city in that area and taken off to the capital of Babylonia to hang out for about uh, a couple of generations. And now they're coming back. A guy named Ezra and a guy named Nehemiah led them back. Malachi is a prophet that's speaking to them as they're rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, as they're rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, as they're rebuilding really their lives in the city of Jerusalem. And prophets are like the Olympic line judges. Did you watch the gymnasts and they're flipping on that giant mat? You notice there were four people. There was one at each corner and their job was to make sure that that girl's heel, that guy's heel did not, not just didn't cross line, didn't touch it. And as a side note, they are remarkable. I mean, they're flipping backwards eight times through the air with like sparklers in their hands or something and they land. And I mean, there's probably like this much room between them and and they don't hit it. And that's what prophets did. Prophets were the line judges for the covenant. Prophets are the line judges between Israel and God. Prophets make sure that Israel doesn't cross, go over the line. And when they do, they blow the whistle and make sure Israel gets back in. That's what prophets do. And that's what Malachi is doing. Malachi's writing writing and speaking to the Israelites as they're coming back into the land. They're rebuilding their homes. They're rebuilding their houses. And Malachi says, you have disobeyed the commands and decrees of the Lord. You've scorned them. But then Malachi says, the Lord says, if you return to me, I will return to you. Malachi says that the Lord says, if you return to me, I will return to you. This is the prophets in a nutshell. There's like 12 little ones and three or four big ones in the Old Testament. And here's the constant refrain. If you return to me, I will return to you. You screwed up. You messed up, you failed, you faltered, you flagged. But if you return to me, I will return to you. And so just as a grace to you this week, guys, if you screwed up and you probably did this week, if you lived outside the bounds, 
if you had a conversation in a way, uh, you handled something in a way that you shouldn't have, in a way that doesn't honor Jesus, God says, if you return to me, I will, I will return to you. This is the grace. Now, Malachi 3, God has this dialogue with himself, you know, where he's kind of talking for himself and Israel, and he says, you know, you've cheated me. He says, how do we cheat you? But you've stolen all of these things. They say, how can, we, how can we return if we've never left? Listen, here's what sin does, and this is why it's dangerous. It carries us so far away before we even realize it. Sin carries us so far away before we don't even realize it. And by the time you admit that you have a problem, the problem is bad. And yet God's grace to us is saying, you've walked away. And by the way, when God feels distant, it's not like God took a vacation for a minute. There's something about we who have moved ourselves, not him. And so God says, if you return to me, I will return to you because I've never gone anywhere. If you return to me, I will return to you and bring my full presence and my full blessing and my full care and provision and protection and affection onto you. And so they have this dialogue back and forth. Should people cheat God, yet you've cheated me? What do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? He says, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. The accusation is that Israel has cheated God of their covenant obligation to him. Remember, those of you who are here, and if you weren't here last week, listen to the sermon online from last week, super foundational. Weirdest thing is happening. Y'all keep saying, this is an exciting series. And I keep wanting to say, you know, we're preaching about money right? Y'all are like, I'm really excited for this study. I said, yeah, it's about money. Do you know that? Uh, because it's about money. And everybody is really excited because I think a lot of us have grown up in and around or near church enough to know something money is supposed to happen. Somehow things are supposed to change hands, but for what reasons and why and what God has to do with it, we don't always know. And that's why there's some excitement. But God, Israel is cheating God out of their covenant obligation where they go before him. They give the best of their crop or the best of their income, the first of their income to the Lord as an act of worship and what we would now call discipleship. But it's not like they're waking up in the morning trying to steal from God. I want you to, the context about this is so important because Israel is building their lives up again. And so they're just working hard to make sure that their kids have food. They're just working hard to make sure their family has a roof over their head. They're just working hard to make sure like that we can get enough of a wall up that jackals aren't going to come into my house and steal my baby at night. And I guess while the house is destroyed, my wife has always wanted granite countertops, so we might as well put them in now. I mean, they're just trying to get their, their lives taken care of. I mean, out of a good heart, they're doing the right things to take care of their obligations. They're trying to get their lives back together. And God says in the midst of that, by the way, you're cheating me. They're saying, but God, we're just doing this stuff. It's not that we're not tithing because we don't love you. It's just because we got to build a house. And God says, you're cheating me. And so the question is, what does that look like for us? Because, you know, you're not building your house because the Babylonians carried you away and it got destroyed after three generations and you're trying to, you know, I don't think. Last I checked. When I was in college, I worked for a lawyer for a year. I was a law clerk in Chicago's Loop. It's where all the business happens. It's where the courthouse is, the water department is. And so I filed for him, again, by the way, a very detail-oriented job, which is very much not my sweet spot. And uh, so I would run errands and go get stuff stamped and um, walk into courtrooms when court was in session on accident. The bailiff would point me around the corner so they could stamp some stuff. And I ran errands. I did filing. I did all of these things. And uh, one, uh, Tony was the guy I, I worked for. Tony had kind of crazy eyes. 
I'm just letting you know. So uh, he just did, and he was kind of a little, he was a little not good at details, and so he would hand me a thing that needed to get stamped at the courthouse by 4.30 when it closes, and it's 4.27, and it's a six-minute walk. So I'm sprinting through Chicago in the rain or in the snow, dodging, I mean, seriously, dodging through traffic and like, oh, they're in a red light, let me run through them, and all this kind of stuff to get this document stamped in this machine. Tony did not think these three things through. So one day I was just doing normal errands. I was doing calm errands. I had my paycheck, so I went to deposit my paycheck check. The bank was right across the street from our office building. So I give her the check. We do the whole thing. And she says, all right, well, that still leaves 750. I said, I'm sorry, what now? And she said, you still owe us $750. 19-year-old Kyle begins to sweat profusely at this point. And he goes, I'm sorry, I I owe you how much money? And she said, well, you've overdrafted still $750. So you still owe us that. I was raised in a house where we didn't really talk about money much. I was never really trained as a child about how to manage money. So when I got my bank statements, I was just throwing them in the garbage and not looking to realize that for six months, some woman in the suburbs had been using me to pay her Comcast bill. Uh, And so I was like overdrafting all the time, mostly because I thought that I was financially responsible. And it turns out somebody had stolen my identity. So I ended up at the bank for like two hours as we had to file all this paperwork and look back. And I mean like over like almost $2,000 over the course. And I was like always poor and trying to figure out why. And that was why. And so I'm at the bank. And so I get back to the office. I'm pretty frazzled. It's 4.30. I'm supposed to be done at five. So I work for the, I work for that half hour kind of out of it. Just write a number down on my pay sheet. And I go home for the weekend and I come back on Monday and crazy eyed Tony calls me into his office. And, uh, and Tony very succinctly and very calmly, there's like a, a calm anger which is scarier than yelling anger. And Tony calmly and succinctly explained to me that I had stolen from him. He said, there's no way that you worked this many hours. And he said, I understand that you needed to go to the bank, that you needed to do this, you needed to take care of business, because I would have done the same thing. But he said, there's no way you worked that many hours. You stole from me. And in that moment, I learned a couple of things. I, I learned that it's possible to steal without having any intention of stealing. Listen, I was, I'm an obedient first child. Never once in my life ever did I like take a candy bar, you know, while sitting, you know, in the aisle at Walmart or the grocery store, out the store. Never, ever, ever. My three younger brothers, on the other hand, will pray for them. But I never did. And so when Tony accuses me really of stealing, I realize in that moment it's possible to steal without even meaning to. It's possible to steal with the best possible intentions. And I also learned that there's more than one way to steal. I didn't just steal money from him. I stole time, but you may not steal time or money. It's possible to steal someone's joy. It's possible to steal someone's credit. There's multiple ways to steal. And God says in this conversation with Israel in a way very similar to what Tony said to me that we're stealing and we don't even know it. Not because we have intentions to. That bucket didn't go by and you said, well, screw you, God. I got mine today. I'm going to Duncan. Is not what you thought. But even still, God says you're stealing. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, I'm just trying to take care of my family. I got the student loans. Things are really tight. You know, we, we just moved in this apartment. You know, so-and-so lost their job. This thing is happening. I, I don't have enough money. And God says, You're stealing. And so I want to unpack 
a couple of things. I want to unpack exactly what scripture means when it talks about tithes and offerings, because that's what he says we're stealing, so we should probably know what we're stealing. And then I want to look at the exact nature of our grand larceny, okay? And if it's really a federal offense or not, okay? For those of us who have been in church a long time, we know what is meant by tithes and offerings. I could have said, all right, I could have gotten up after that first song and said, all right, Regent, we're going to take our tithes and offerings now. And Julia and I, we grew up in a church, we would have known what that meant. Steph and I, but not all of us have grown up in church. And so we don't know what is meant when we say tithes and offerings. Tithes is an Old Testament principle that, and that word tithe literally means a tenth. Ooh, wait, see, this is what we're not doing. We're not hamburglaring or are we? So I want to look at that. Tithes or offerings. Tithe means a tenth. It was set up in Israel and their covenant that they would give the first tenth and the best tenth of whatever they made, either as a merchant or a farmer or of a, a sheep herder or whatever. They would give the best tenth of their flock, the best tenth of their crop, the first tenth of their income to God. And they would take it to the temple and that was part of their worship. That was their tithe. That was their tenth, their 10%. But there was also an offering. So at the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Booth and the, and the Feast of Atonement, they would give extra stuff. And so at the end of the day, Israel... Uh, gave closer to 20% of their income by the end of the year. They gave a lot. This was part of their covenant obligation. By the time we hit the New Testament, the people of Jesus have a different principle. Tithing is surpassed, and we're going to unpack this later in the series, with an idea that you give as you prosper. So God prospers you to give more. Because here's the deal. A couple things. If you tithe on $30,000 and $300,000, one of those two people is living far more comfortably than the other. One of those two people um, is actually giving more sacrificially than the other. The person who gives 10% of $30,000 is living far more sacrificially than the person that is living off $270,000. I don't know from personal experience, I hear it's pretty cushy, okay? And so the real principle is that the more you prosper, the more you give. The New Testament principles, and we'll dive into this later, but here's your sneak peek, is that giving is regular, generous, sacrificial, and cheerful. It's regular, which means even if you're not at Regen that week, you either get online or you write double the check the next time you're here. Or if you're the tenants, maybe things were a little tight that week, so we had to wait, and then then we write two checks, just telling you how it goes, Okay. Uh, double the tithe, double the pleasure, double the fun, something. You give regularly, you give every week, you give generously. You always err on the side of giving more rather than less. You err on the side of sac- sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving, some people would say you've got to give until it hurts. And I don't think you should do that because if you give it till it hurts, it'll hurt too bad and you'll stop. You give until it pinches. And because, let me tell you why, the pinch goes away and now we need to re-up. Give into your pinch, and then you give cheerfully. So it's not like, well, fine, Jesus, I owe you this. Here you go. All right, Jesus died for me, $20. All right, I guess I'm supposed to. Kyle's talked about it a lot. Here we go. No, the scripture says God loves a cheerful giver, and a cheerful giver is only someone who gives, a cheerful giver is someone who knows God's provision in their life. A cheerful giver is someone who knows God's faithfulness in their, in their life. So we give in these ways, just to unpack it for you, um, a couple things. Vanessa is going to lead probably like a Saturday morning or some kind of at some point in the evening, I don't know what, 
like three hour kind of equipping training around finances at some point you know, in October or November so that not only can you learn how to kind of incorporate the tithing piece into your budget, but we can talk about debt. Short answer, God doesn't like debt. Debtors are a slave to the lender. So we, don't, we wanna get out of debt. We, there's all these other pieces. So Vanessa will unpack that. Um, but for Kyle and Stephanie, what happens is that we give 10% of our before tax income we give 10% of our before tax income because giving before tax leans more toward generous. Giving after tax is a little, it's not quite as generous, it's still generous, but I, that way we do that. And then we give over and above, so we give 10% to the church and we give over and above to three missionaries and Bella Women's Center where Steph and Vanessa work. Um, and so that's kind of how our finances work. And you're thinking, yeah, 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 I know. But listen, I got student loans out the wazoo. And that federal tax, that federal in loan rate is like 6.8%, which is crazy. And you're thinking, my car just broke down, so I had to put a lot of money into that. I just had to buy this big chemistry book, which was $500, and I don't understand any of the words in it. And um, you're thinking, I really worked really hard for that money. It's mine. You're thinking, you know, I went to Target the other day, and I bought a lamp because I'm crazy, uh, you know? And I'm just crazy like that. I bought a lamp, and there was something in the dollar section, and then before we knew we actually bought a lamp plus $80 of other things because you cannot leave Target with less than $100 spent, at least not in the tenant house. It just happened on Friday. And, um, and so you're, you're giving all this stuff and you, all these thumbs are in the pie. And so you get to church and it's, it's not that you, you don't want to give, it's not that you can't, it's just that it's all not there. And so I, I'll just, I got this five bucks, I'm going to throw that in. And this is the exact situation that the Israelites are in. They're just trying to take care of business. They're just trying to live their lives. You're not trying to steal from God. They're not trying to steal from God. They're, they're doing their best. They're given what they have. They, they're given what's left over after they, you know, built the house and dug the well and made sure the goat was fed that week. And, and they're doing all of these things. And yet God says that we're missing out on an opportunity. God says we're missing out on something big. And what that big thing is, is in this, in verses 10 through 12, what we're missing out is on this idea where he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. Listen to this. If you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. That's the verse that I kind of just don't know what to do with. Like it, it's huge. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine, they'll be all right. Then you'll be called blessed. God connects Israel's tithes and offerings to promises of provision and faithfulness. God connects the invitation to give, and they're really the command to give, to promises of provision and faithfulness. Because what we find in this passage, and this is, this is key, is that God God provides in order to prove his faithfulness. God provides in order to prove his faithfulness. Look at verse six. I am the Lord and I do not change. That Lord is all in capitals. God is invoking his personal name, Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. God's reliability and consistency and trustworthiness and faithfulness are what is on display when we give. Because when we give, it gives God an opportunity to show up. Listen, guys, God wants to be our provider. 
He wants to be Joey and Julia's provider, Kyle and Steph's provider. He wants to be Vanessa's provider. He wants to be the Goosen's provider. He wants to be our providers. He wants to provide for us and protect us and care for us. And, he, and the invitation to give is connected to that. And the invitation to give that top 10%, the first 10% is connected to that. Let me explain to you why. Because when I give the first 10%, when we do pre-marriage with couples and we show them a budget sheet, which we've not done with all the couples we work with, I don't think we did with you, the first line on the budget sheet is the tithe. It's off the top. It's the first part of your budget. Okay, because when I do that, I'm saying I'm gonna, I'm gonna give on the front end to sh- get, because I'm gonna trust God to make it up on the back end. I'm gonna give on the front end to make sure I can trust God on the back end. So I, I'm gonna give this first 10% and I'm gonna give it regularly and cheerfully and generously and sacrificially and I'm gonna put on display, I'm gonna put money where my mouth is, I'm gonna put money where God's mouth is and trusting that he is faithful. And guys, when we give off the bottom, for, first of all, we're not tithing, we're tipping. When we give off the bottom, we're not tithing, we're tipping. And when we tip, we say, I don't really trust God to make up the back end. And so now, as per last week, we're in that trap of self-provision and we're anxious and we're nervous and we're like the Israelites, I'm just trying to build this house here and I don't know what, all this kind of stuff. Listen, when we don't give, we aren't stealing money from God. When we don't give, what we are stealing from God is an opportunity for him to show up. When we don't give, we aren't stealing money from God. What we're stealing is an opportunity for God to be faithful. When we give off the top, God provides off the, out of this faithfulness and takes care of us on the bottom. When we give on the front end, God shows up on the back end. And so we're not robbing God of money because guys, God doesn't want your money. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And he wants your heart to be confident in his ability and willingness and desire to provide. If God woke up in the morning, which he doesn't because he doesn't sleep, but if he did, the first thing on his to-do list every day would be to take care of you. The first thing on his to-do list would be to provide for you. And when you take giving, this is the closest you're ever going to hear me sound like a late at night TV preacher. I'm about to sound weird, but it's true. When you take seriously, you begin to discover ways that God provides for you. And I can tell you a lot. Anthony's going to tell you a story in a moment. We're going to incorporate stories into this sermon series for the rest of the time. But when you trust God on the front end, God shows up on the back end. Here's what I mean. So uh, back in May, some of you know, Steph and I had some medical stuff go down. And so this summer, medical bills started rolling in. $200, $400, 60 bucks, you know, all up and down. And uh, at the same time, we're going back to school. And, uh, you know, we're part of the United Methodist Church. They've been really generous with me. I've got some money here and there. Uh, the Grace Campus kind of threw some money my way. And, uh, but it was still going to be an expense for us. And so we're looking at all these expenses. We start praying. Steph goes into work, and uh, they, give her, they give her a raise. She starts working full time. Our first conversation was not, where are we going for dinner? Because <laughs> we got money. Where are we going? The first conversation was, how do, where, where does our giving need to be now that our, our income has increased? So, where, how, where, where, so we upped our giving off the bat, boom, up, upped our giving right off the bat. St- knowing that we still had bills coming, knowing that school was starting, uh, knowing that some other stuff might happen medically this fall, we just started giving more because we wanted to trust God on the front end to make it up on the back end. And so a few weeks later, we um, have a conversation with some friends of ours and they give us a gift. And inside the gift, guys, is perfect proof that a loving and benevolent God exists. It is bourbon barrel maple syrup. It is maple syrup 
that has been aged in a bourbon barrel. And if it were available in quantities in which I could bathe in it, I might. It is, it is delicious. And also in there, more importantly, was a card with a really sweet note encouraging us with a check for 500 bucks. Boom. Okay, not sending me to Bora Bora, not making me crazy wealthy, but boom, took out a couple of bills that were floating around right then and there. Um, I've got another one that I'm gonna say for next week. So Anthony, you come here, because Anthony told me, he was like, dude, I've got the story about giving, and I was like, you're gonna tell this, so come here. And uh, this is Anthony, everybody say hi, Anthony. Hey, Anthony, okay. Um, all right, so you've got like two and a half minutes. Ready, set, go. So I have like 500 of these stories, but I'll tell you the first one. Um, so I heard a message just like this, um, and I had been going to church for about a year in my life, and um, I was like an atheist, so I wasn't always going to church, and then I had this crazy radical encounter with the Spirit of God, and so I started going to church, and about a year in, I kept hearing messages about giving, and so I said, okay, maybe, maybe I'll Maybe I'll give, right? And so, you know, for the first year, I was telling my wife, like, churches only want your money. Like, every time they said money, I'm like, see, see. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And um, it would be like an amazing message. And then I'd be like, as soon as money, I would like turn off. But so, like, God was like really like working on my heart. And I was feeling like every time the word money would come up, I would feel like almost like hypocritical or like, oh, I'll give God everything. But like, it, it's the church who wants my money. But really, it was a, anyway. So, <laughs> we, made a decision as a couple to say, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to tithe. And so like Kyle was talking about his bank account um, earlier, we're like 10 times worse than that. We have no idea what's going on. <laughs> our, like, even now, like we have two kids, but God, he does take care of us. But anyway, so we made the decision to write a check because we're 900 years old and we still write checks. <laughs> and so um, we write this check and we're getting ready to go. And to leave the church. And so we said, let's go to Dunkin' Donuts because that's what you do after church. You go to Dunkin' Donuts. By the way, anyone want me to Dunkin' Donuts after, hit me up. So we all go to Dunkin' Donuts. And we, um, we order our food and we go to the next window because there's two windows because they don't trust me. I don't know why there's two windows at a drive. Anyway, so and, and she's looking on the phone at her, at her bank account. And we, if... If the check goes through and our order goes through, we will overdraft. And, like, immediately I say out loud, because I'm so excited. I'm like, I'm going to do this thing, you know? Like, every time I get a challenge from God, it's like, yeah, let's go. And then I, like, realize how, like, serious it is. I'm like, uh. <laughs> so, um, that'll preach. Um, so, <laughs> so, she says, we're going to overdraft. And I say out loud, I'm like, first off, Jesus, I <laughs> Like, I, I'm trusting you here. Like, I said I was going to trust you, and I'm doing this. And now, look at this. So I said, look, I'm just, and I'm, I'm a little bit upset. Like, I probably would have wrestled with Jesus in this moment. Yeah. Um, but I said, I'm like, I don't know how you're going to take care of this overdraft fee, but you're going to do something, right? So we pull up to the window, and the lady at the window was like, hey, the car in front of you paid for your order. Crazy. So, and then I, I turned in the back seat, last thing, turned in the back seat, I was like, Jesus, are you hiding in here? Like, <laughs> How, what? <laughs> it was like immediate, dude. And I literally did that. So. I love that. Yeah, so, okay. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Up top. Yeah. Okay. So there's going to be more of them. If that, if that has happened to you, talk to me about that because that's going to happen. And another thing, uh, Zach had this idea. He's not here tonight. Shame him next week. Um, 
Zach, Zach said to me, so are we going to like get into this and da, da 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 And I said, I said, oh, and he's like, can you send me like something so, so Jen and I can start working on this? And I said, well, what if the last sermon, instead of like a sermon, what if we do like a panel? So what will happen is Zach will like ask questions about like, and we're going to get multiple people. They don't know this, but maybe Walter and Rita. <laughs> um, so we have this kind of multi, I mean, Walter and Rita, like just go ask them. They've got like a lifetime's worth of awesome stories about this and just like opportunities to hear people talk about God's faithfulness and how we make giving work and all that kind of stuff. So that'll be sometime toward the end of October. We'll just build that into the series here. So that'll be really cool. Um, Guys, the closest thing you're ever going to hear me say to a TV preacher is that if that God will bless you, it's in the text, God will bless you when you give. And blessing does not equal trips to Bora Bora and Mercedes. I mean, like, guys, I'm, something happened on our red car this week, and like half the mirror is gone. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I pull up to like funerals, and like, everybody's got these really nice cars, and I'm like, got my S10. Hey, guys, like, I'm here, I'm the preacher, you know? And, um, but you know what? Like, any time we've really had a need, God's provided for it. Boom, done. Not a want, a need. And like, y'all, some of y'all are college students. Y'all got needs out the wazoo, okay? You know what I mean? Like some of you, first married, needs out the wazoo. Um, like we all have just, like we all have needs and God's heart is to provide for that. But listen, the reason that we give is because God, if that has, if it's never, if a story like Anthony's or mine has never happened to you, it's because you're giving on the back end. It's that God doesn't need to show up because you took care of it. Like, why would God show up and give that to Anthony if, like, he hadn't given because he would have had the money? This is why I'm saying that you steal an opportunity from God to show up because when you're in the self-trap of self-provision, I mean, God doesn't need to because you, you took care of it. And so, like, if you want, like, God to show up, I'm, now, do not, preacher said, give lots of money and just overdraft left and right and God's not showing up. There is a biblical wisdom and responsibility that does not mean, but I mean, in those moments when we really need God to show up, he's gonna, if we have over time kind of shown up ourselves, which is crazy. And so this is why when we're talking about money, we say this is about what God wants for you, not what God wants from you. Because it's not interest, God is not interested in just like, all right, pay up. God's interest is to support you and provide for you and care for your needs. But he does that in this kind of intertwining of our generosity and his and back and forth. Um, and so we'll unpack this next week. I don't want to get into it too heavily, but my big challenge out of the series will be one thing is to take a step up the giving ladder or maybe two. So you've never given, give for the first time. If you've given for the first time, start giving a little bit here and there. Most of everybody I've watched, I know you, I know you, y'all are in these first two steps. Most everybody here has probably stepped already is at level two. And so I would encourage you to go up one or two levels. So get, start giving a percentage like, and I know I just actually said 10% is kind of not the New Testament principle. So we'll get into that, but I think it's a helpful guide when you start giving. So start giving a percentage, which is less than 10, or then go up to start giving faithfully to 10 and then start, or maybe extravagantly giving beyond a 10% tie. So maybe God's call in your life is due 10, 12, 13, 14%. That's the only, so if you want to know what my basic call in this series is, is just to take it one step up or two steps up maybe for some of you. That's it. The rest of the series is why. Why do we give? What does Jesus have to say about it? What's Paul? I mean, we're going to jump around the Bible and see really interesting things. And some practical stuff is going to happen. 
And Vanessa's going to unload some of that, and we'll do it in the panel. But my call for you is to step up. My problem with this is I designed this wrong. This was my graphic design for this week. I did it wrong because it really shouldn't be about stepping up the ladder. It should be about stepping down the ladder closer to the heart of God. It's about stepping down deeper into who God himself is, because that's what the series is about. This series is not about a brief history of the generosity of God, otherwise known as give your money. It's about who God is and who we are in relation to him. And, and I want to land on this. This is the story we should have started on, and it might just come up next week. But Adam and Eve, our first parents, wake up to a world of lush abundance in this garden where literally anything they, anything they could dream of was available to them because God is extravagantly generous and has a heart to provide for his kids. And so Adam and Eve wake up in this garden and there was one thing that they weren't allowed to eat. There was one tree. And we can talk about this later. It was, it was not a never, it was a not yet. It was driving before 16 versus after 16. And they said, we want to drive before 16. So they went and ate that piece of fruit. They ate of that tree, and something in the whole universe broke when they chose self-provision over God's provision. When they chose, I'm going to provide for myself, I'm going to make the rules, I'm going to say who does what for me, something in the whole universe and in our hearts broke. And in their relationship with God, something broke. Their relationship with each other, the text says, you know, if you've ever seen a children's Bible, Adam and Eve are always like naked behind a bush, conveniently located bush. Adam and Eve all of a sudden in that moment, realized that they were naked and they were ashamed. They were ashamed to stand in front of God that way. They were stand afraid, ashamed to stand in front of each other that way. And so when God approaches them and has a conversation with them, the text talks about how he made for them clothing. Even in the moments after their rebellion, God clothed them. Even in like the moments after that, he gives them a covering for their shame. He gives them a covering for their guilt. And then we fast forward 2,000 years to like another day and another gift. And there's this verse out of 2 Corinthians, which we keep coming back to. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Not in BMWs, but in the affection and the embrace of the Father. He is the ultimate cover for our guilt and our shame and our sinfulness so that we can walk truthfully and openly with the extravagance of God. And that's really what we celebrate at this table. That's what we celebrate uh, at communion is this idea that God is that generous, that he gave of, that God gave of God's own self. And that God's experience of humanity was not one of royalty. And actually, guys, Jesus was poor. He wasn't just poor. As my friend Jared would say, he was poe. Like he couldn't afford the OR. And Jesus like, I mean, even embraced, truly embraced our poverty so that by that he could, I mean, he accepted every worst part of the human condition, even poverty, even homelessness, so that we could have all good things and provide for them. And that's what we celebrate at this table. So I'm gonna break the bread. Um, we're gonna sing a song. We're gonna get out of here. Um, Vanessa um, and Anthony, if you could help me, um, let me pray and then the band will come up too. Uh, Jesus, for our sakes, you became poor so that we could be rich in the very grace that you give to us in this meal. So surround this bread and this cup with your presence that it may become to us um, a gift of your grace that we can taste and see that we would be reminded of your grace toward us. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.